Today we are finishing up our series that we've called uh, Christianity Light. We've been talking about the, uh, the elements of the faith, elements of biblical Christianity that have been often removed in our Western culture. Today's message, we're going to finish it up by uh, preaching a message called Chosen to Change the World. And uh, we've talked about the different areas of Christianity Light that are missing power and prayer and uh, offense and and cost and service. But today's message is really about being saved without sharing. How can you and I be Christians, be followers of Jesus and, and not talk about Jesus? How can we be followers of Jesus without sharing with other people what Jesus did for us? It, it, it doesn't make any sense uh, for, for God to save us and then look at us and say, now you just shut up and don't say anything else. That's not what he did. There's no reason for God to save us and then for us to never say, any, say anything. I'm here to tell you today, and you're going to hear it multiple times, you were chosen to change the world. You were chosen to change the world. Turn to three people and say, you've been chosen to change the world. Do it right now. That really sounded odd from up here, I've got to tell you, but you've been chosen. You have been chosen. This is going to be a different kind of message than what I normally preach, but because I'm going to be sharing a, a lot of stories, and these stories are really designed to just drive home a point that all of us here need to hear. If we're chosen to change the world, then you and I need to do something more than just go to a, go to a church. So I want you to now just nudge your neighbor and say, he's getting ready to talk about you. Did you tell him that? So, so... Listen, this is really one of the greatest churches I've ever been in uh, with, with some of the greatest people I've ever met. You are godly people. You're giving people. And I believe that most of us just want to see something happen. We want to see God do something significant, not only in us, but through us. We want to see something happen in this city. And, and this message today, today is for all of us, me included. I need to take heart myself and, and do better in this area. So let's pray and then we're going to get into our word for this morning. Father, I thank you for the privilege of pastoring this great church, and I pray, God, that you would pour yourself into us, empower us, encourage us so that we could share you and your gospel with the world. We want the world to know who you are. We want the world to know how great you are. We want the world to know how powerful and loving and gracious you are. So help us today, change us today, inspire us today, empower us today. In the strong name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. I'm going to start by reading a story that's found in the book of Luke chapter 15. If you want to turn to Luke chapter 15. Uh, before I read it, I just want to give you a little bit of background, a little understanding, uh, because it talks about tax collectors a little bit here. Now, tax collectors in Jesus's day were different than tax collectors today. Now, honestly, nobody likes tax collectors even today, but, but in Jesus' day, it was even worse because tax collectors in Jesus' day in, in Israel were not good people. They were traitors to the Jewish nation. They collected taxes for an op oppressive occupying force, the Romans, and those taxes helped to support the armies that were occupying their nation. And so, the, uh, for example, when if, a, if they had a Romans had a crackdown in one small town and, and they and they killed somebody, the tax collectors were helping to pay for that. So they, they were hated people. They they also got rich by fraudulently collecting extra taxes for the people and then pocketing the excess. Rome didn't care about any of that. So in essence, what they were doing was what the tax collectors betrayed their own people just to satisfy their own greed. And the Jews looked down on and hated tax collectors. They were, they were frankly, they were just really snakes. They were really bad. And if you were a Jew in the first century, you didn't want to hang around with tax collectors. You, you didn't want to be a friend with a tax collector because that was a crook. He's a criminal. He's a traitor. He's a bad guy. And he, and he, and he was taking food out of the mouths of your children. So let's read this, the scripture here, what it says. In Luke chapter 15, verse 1. Tax collectors and other not notorious sinners, you know, social outcasts, uh, prostitutes, alcoholics, drug addicts, people like that, even, even people that had some sort of disability were included on this because the Jews believed that if you had some disability, it was because of your sin uh, that, that happened. So tax collectors and other not notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. So 
tells us now that Jesus had the ability to relate to sinners. These tax collectors and these notorious sinners came to listen to Jesus, to Jesus teach. And, and, and if you can, if you can only relate to other spiritual people like you that, you know, kind of float at a different altitude where angels fly, then if that's true that you can't relate with sinners, then maybe I'll just say this. Maybe you're not as much like Jesus as you thought you were, but because, because Jesus had the ability to relate to people. You know, we say, well, I can't believe that I have to work in a place where nobody else is a Christian. Well, listen, if you were chosen to change the world, then that's exactly where you should be. I can't believe I have all these sinners around me. Well, good, because that's where Jesus wants you. That's where Jesus needs you. He wants notorious sinners to hear the gospel. And the tax collectors and notorious sinners came and they sought Jesus out so that they could hear him teach. And that means that he could relate to them. And, and so you and I need to continue to relate to people if they're ever going to hear and understand the gospel. Uh, for example, let, let's just say you walk into a store, a grocery store, a convenience store where you frequently shop and you go up to the counter to check out. And there's a there's a new employee there behind the counter. And you notice that he has a pentagram tattoo on his arm. Now, if you don't know, a pentagram is a satanic symbol. It's a it, 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 he's got it on his arm, you know, and, and you, you probably look at your, that and you say to yourself, you know what? This kid's probably probably a Satanist. Now, in that moment, you have two choices. You can throw your arms out wide and say, Mabel, keep the, pins, keep the kids back. This guy's a Satanist. Or you can start talking to him without saying anything about the pentagram on his arm. You can start calling him by his name. You can start being nice to him. And then you can go back regularly and start looking for him and keep talking to him and keep loving him. And, and you make up your mind and say, sooner or later, I'm going to be the person that changes his world. I'm going to be, I'm going to change his world through Jesus Christ. I'm going to be the one who gets to lead him to Jesus. Amen. Amen. So you don't run from sinners. I have to keep going. Verse two. This made the Pharisees and teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. How could Pastor Dave hang out with unsaved people and not hang out with us Christians? I can't believe he's hanging out with somebody in the world. He's out there hanging out with tax collectors. He and his wife having lunch with a known prostitute. Do you know what this guy did? This guy went to jail for murder and he got out. And Pastor Dave, he's down there eating with this murderer at, 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 at Mi Pueblo. He's having a chimichanga with a murderer. Jesus was hanging out with sinful people. And it, and it made the religious people complain. You know, if you see me around town with someone who's a known criminal, what are you going to think of me? Because... See, these religious people thought badly of Jesus because they thought he should have been acting like they acted. But, but listen to me. We got to remember, you have been chosen to change the world. Let, let me ask you this. Do you know who is in the world? Well, sinners, true, but everyone, <laughs> everyone's in the world. And, and that means that the world is populated by sinners. But anyway, let's keep reading verse three. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others in the wilderness and go to search for the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. So he left the 99 that were already in the fold, that were already in the church, and he went after the one that had wandered away from, from, the, from the fold. So what if one Sunday I just got up, I stood up and, and I said, Mary Beth, I want you to just keep singing uh, something, keep going, because I, I've got to go find a sheep that I don't see here today. I heard he's over there at Seafood Shack, and I'm going to go over there and try to get them. And, and, and then it, I didn't preach that day. So I'm down at Seafood Shack trying to find the one. And some of us would be like, I tell you what, he's supposed to be here at church. We pay him to be here at church. He's the pastor of this church. I don't know what he thinks he's doing down there at Seafood Shack talking to just one person when there's a whole bunch of people that, that, that are waiting here to, for him to talk to them. All I can say is better, better read the Bible. Better read the Bible. Let's keep going. Verse six. When he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. Now, would we not rejoice at the lost sheep that was found? Somebody says, hey, pastor, come meet my brother. My brother has been lost for about 10 years. He's finally come back to the Lord. He's been on drugs, but now he's free. And, and I'm going to say, oh, I'm so glad. to. to I'm just going to rejoice with you. 
Hey, pastor, I just saw my sister. I, I hadn't seen her for 20 years. She just got saved and we are, we've been reunited. I want you to meet her. Would, we'd be thrilled with that, that, wouldn't we? Let's keep reading verse 7. In the same way, there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. So that's saying that when we get to the altar call, and it, 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 that is not the opportune time for you to slip out because that is the most important part of the service. God, listen, God has better music in heaven than we have here. We have great music, but the music in heaven, I'm telling you, is going to be better. And you know what? There are way better preachers in heaven. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced I'm not astounding God with my preaching ability. But when somebody comes down and they say, I think I'm ready to shed my old life. I'm ready. I think I'm ready to get sin out of, out of, my, out of me. I think I'm ready to change my life. I think I'm ready to turn my life over to Jesus. I want you to know in that moment, heaven stands up. They're standing up and they're cheering and, uh, over the one person that repented. They're like, yeah. So listen today, the one person, when you, when you come down, when, when you say, I'm ready to turn my life, life over to God, let me, let me help you know what's happening in that moment. It may not be everybody here, but everybody in heaven is standing up and cheering you and thanking God that your life is, has been turned around by the power of the gospel. Let's keep reading verse 8. Or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Now, coin was uh, uh, one day's pay. So this is 10 days wages. She's lost a whole day's pay. So that's significant. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? How many of you ever lost something and then just went crazy trying to find it? Did ever happen to anybody here? Sure, yeah. You know what I mean? You lost your, your car key. Some of you are like, I lost my mind, still haven't found it yet. But... Uh, <laughs> Uh, but, but, you know, you, you got to find your keys. You can't go anywhere. So uh, are you not going to search everywhere to find them? Sure. Yeah. Verse nine. And when she finds it, she will call in her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angels when even one sinner repents. So when you come down to the altar, this is you. When you come and repent before God, this is you. The Bible's talking about you. There is tremendous excitement and tremendous joy in the presence of God, God's angels when one person comes down here and repents. I, I, you know, honestly, I don't lose things very often. I really don't. I, I, I have a habit of putting things. I typically put things in the same place, like my keys or whatever. But when I do lose something, I typically, typically get mad at myself. I'm like, come on, Dave, what'd you, what'd you do with this? And, uh, you know, just, but there are some things when you lose them that are just more precious to you and it hurts deeper when you lose them, right? Like how many of you men have ever lost the remote? <laughs> right. Yeah. You know, of course not. You didn't lose it. You didn't lose it. it. It must have been somebody else. I mean, it has to be somebody else. You tore the house apart trying to find that remote control. Sofa cushions are flying everywhere. Furniture is being overturned. Children are being turned upside down and bodies searched. And every room in the house is in total upheaval. You're, you're interrogating your family. When was the last time you used the remote and where did you put it? You know, tell me now and it'll go easier for you. That kind of thing's going on. Somebody moved it because it's obvious that I wouldn't have moved it. I know where the remote is. I'm going to have it there. Of course, you know, by now you could have walked over and turned the TV on for a long time ago. But, but that's not the point. Where's my remote? I need my remote. So finally you walk into the bathroom and there it is. It's this bright shaft of life com light coming down from heaven shining over there's a halo around the, the, the remote there and you can hear the angels singing the hallelujah chorus. And, and then you realize in that moment that you forgot you carried it into the bathroom to with you to make sure that nobody changed the channel while you were gone. And so then you laid it down on top of the magazine rack in there. And so anyway, you found it. So you start running through the house shouting, I found it. I found it. You go to your wife and you say, I, I found it. Don't worry. Don't worry. You go to your kids. Kids, I found it. Everything's going to be all right now. You run out in the front yard and your neighbor is across the street out in their yard. And you're like, I found it. Everything's good. I found it. And he runs back inside his house and you see him peeking through the blinds out the front window of his house. And, and you're like, I found it. Of course, of course, I'm being facetious with a remote. 
Because a remote control is, isn't quite that value, but valuable. But when you lose something of great value, and then you find it, it is a powerful and emotional moment. Like a few years ago, a number of years ago, like 19 years ago, time flies, but I, I, I uh, went to Walmart because I needed to get some new t-shirts. I, was, I needed some, getting some colored t-shirts to wear with like shorts and jeans, and that sort of thing. And Aaron was only two years at the time, two years of age at the time. And so that day she was hanging out with daddy. So I took her to Walmart with me. We made our way to the men's department, found this huge rack of t-shirts there of all different sizes and colors. And and, and as we stood there looking at the T-shirts, you know how little two-year-olds year olds, year olds are. Every once in a while, Aaron would start to wander off just a little bit, and I would immediately call her back and say, Aaron, now you need to stay with Daddy here. Stay right here. Don't move. It's, you know, you got to stay with me. You can't wander off. Well, I'm looking at these T-shirts. I looked on this side over here to my left for, for just, just a moment, just a split second. And I looked at a T-shirt. And then I turned around to look to see, to check on Aaron, and she was gone. How many of you had that moment? I mean, it was a split second, and she just disappeared. One moment she was there, the next moment she was gone. I called her name, no response. I walked around the corner of the display to see if she'd gone around the corner, and she wasn't there. And then I walked around the other end of the display to look there, and she wasn't there. And I called her name again. I called her name a third time, each time with a little bit more fervency and panic. I'm here to tell you, panic began to invade my heart and, and began to strangle me with fear because I've seen the news reports of how quickly kidnappers can strike. And I mean, I was ready to go up to the, to the front of the store and, and, and insist that they shut down the store, lock all the doors. You've got to do something because my daughter is, is, is lost and she, she can't, whoever took her can't get out of this store. She couldn't, he couldn't do it. So, I mean, I was, I was ready to tear that store apart to find my precious daughter. Well, about that time, which what seemed like, you know, hour <laughs> was like a minute or two. About that time, Aaron crawled out from one of the center of one of those circular racks, you know, they have at Walmart where the clothes hang all around and they have this empty spot in the middle. Well, she had crawled into the cave. She, she was having a great time. In that little two-second window of opportunity, she crawled into that little cave and she was hiding from daddy. To her, it was a game. To me, it was life and death. And I saw her there in that moment. And I don't know if any of you parents have had that moment where you're, you thought your child was lost and then they were there and you found out, you realized they were okay. <clears throat> and all of a sudden, you have that moment with all these different emotions. You see them and your heart is filled with joy. And at the same time, you want to strangle them. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Of course, the joy wins out. And I just wanted to shout out to everybody in the store. I found her. It's okay. It's okay. I got my daughter now. It's all right. Everything's going to be fine. I found my girl. That kind of excitement. When you lose something precious and you find it, you get all excited about that. Church. When somebody walks out of their seat and, and comes down to this altar and they surrender to Jesus, when they find the Lord, whether it's here at the altar or anywhere else in the world, you and I need to shout with joy. That is one of the most powerful moments in all of creation. They found it. They were lost, but now they're found. They found Jesus. They found Jesus. All right. Okay, so turn to somebody and tell them you were chosen to change the world. Okay, let's do that again. Do it a little better this time. Say it again. You were chosen to change the world. Woo, you're awake now. Yeah, that's good. Now what I'm going to do, I'm going to tell you about some young people that were chosen to change the world. And some, some people that are chosen say no. A youth pastor went to a, speak at a Christian high school years ago. It really wasn't very Christian, but it was called a Christian school. The people who ran it were Christian, but you know what I'm saying. Uh, have you ever seen one of those schools that where parents say, I've got this terrible kid that's in a lot of trouble, so I'm going to put him in that school? And then you end up with a bunch of thugs in the school there. Well, anyway, this youth pastor, pastor spoke at the school, and afterwards, <clears throat> this beautiful young girl named Wendy, no, 
That's her name. I'm just, I'm not trying to single you. It's not our Wendy. I'll just tell you that. But this beautiful young girl named Wendy came up and spoke to him. She was a senior in the high school. She was a valedictorian. She had ac academic scholarships lined up for her. You, you would think she was just the sweetest, nicest little person in the world. She walks up to him and she says, Pastor, I, is there any way I can meet with you and talk with you about something that I'm dealing with in my life? And he said, sure. Why don't you just call my office, make an appointment, come on in. Well, Wendy calls and makes the appointment, comes in to talk with youth, youth pastor. She sits down and he asks her, he says, what's, okay, what's the problem? What's going on? And she said, she said, you know, at least four times a week, I wake up during the night with these horrible, horrible dreams where I get killed. It happens at least four times a week with these dreams and they're bad. They're horrible dreams and, and terrible things happen to me in them. Like, like my head gets cut off or something like that. Now she wasn't a Christian and and he asked her, he said, what kind of music do you listen to? And she said, I, I listen to death metal. Well, let me just connect that one for you right there. Death metal, death dreams. We, we've got a winner. Ding, ding, ding here. So you, you know how it is, though. Sometimes you talk with somebody in the world and it seems obvious, but they just don't get it. Maybe because they don't want to get it. He said, well, you're listening to these horrible people that, they're singing about death and demons and hell and everything. And you're, you're putting pictures into your mind and these pictures are coming from the music. And she said, oh, that's crazy. There's no way that happens. He said, yeah, it does, Wendy. But, but let me tell you something. When I saw you and, and I found out who you are and how bright you are and what a leader you, you are, I want you to know you, you've been chosen to change the world. She said, what does that mean? He said, well, look at yourself. You're, you're popular. This is not just something that you've dreamed up and made happen. God put you in this area to be so popular. You're the valedictorian of your class. You've got all these little girls that follow you around. You've been chosen to change the world. That's why you're talking to me. I need to help you understand that you're he why you're here, that to, to understand your purpose, because you've been chosen to change the world. She says, no way. I don't believe that, and, and I don't believe the music has anything to do with my dreams. He said, well, it does. He said, I, I can pray with you right now, and when Jesus replaces that, you'll be totally free, and you won't have that problem. She said, I, I tell you what, I, I, I'm, I'm going to come back two weeks from now. And she said, when I come back, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring you my pencil sketchbook with all my drawings. He said, he said okay, all right, let's do, do that. Two, two weeks later, she came back. She brought this little black book with her. It was filled with her drawings, and she was really good. When he opened it up, she had the covers of all these CDs that were all demonic, and he looked at those drawings, and he said, said, Wendy, no wonder you're having these dreams. Then he flipped the page, and I'm going to show you one of the pages from that, uh, 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 one of those pages in that book on the screen. Here's the picture. He said, Wendy, who is this? She said, that's me. Now he's looking at this girl and she's pretty and she's got everything going for, for her. And here's this ugly demon looking thing with the eyes of death and as sad as can be. And all the little words, words around the, the outer edge, you can't really see it. I'm going to blow it up and maybe you'll be able to see it a little bit better. It, 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 all the little words, you go to the next one. It says, if you can see it, all little words say me. All around it. He said, who is this, Wendy? She says, it's me. He said, what do, you, what do you mean it's you? She said, well, that's what I look like on the inside. I, I really don't have a life. I can smile when I'm, when I'm around other people, but when I get by myself, this is what I look like. And he said, Wendy, is, is, is this who you are on the inside? She said, that's exactly who I am on the inside. He said, Wendy, you, you don't have any life at all. You have total death. You have a spirit of suicide on you. And she said, yes, I do. He said, but Wendy... You've been chosen. Do you understand what God has done for you? You've been chosen to change the world. He said, let me pray with you and, and show you how all of this can turn around. And she said, no. He told her she was chosen and she said, no. Now he didn't see her again for a month. And all of a sudden she showed up on a Wednesday night at, a, at their youth service. And it was a, it was a very large youth group. And 
But when he got to the altar call, he had seen her there. And that youth pastor was just pulling like crazy to try to get her to respond because he knows where she is spiritually. I've been in those times when I was just really trying to pull and do, give time for, for God to work on a heart. And he was doing that and she didn't come to the altar. Many, many people did come. But she just sat there hard because she wanted to go out and party. Well, she was getting older and she wanted to drink. She, she wanted to go out to the bars. That's what she wanted to do. And she was nearly of the age to be able to do that. And after service was over, she came up to talk with the youth pastor and she said, hey, you're pretty good at preaching. He said, well, not good enough because you didn't come down. He said, I was praying for you to come down so your life could be changed. And she's, she goes, you know what? I, I appreciate what you're telling me. He said, why do you even, Wendy, why do you even come around? And why do you, why do you want to hear me talk? She said, because I really believe that you tell the truth. I just don't want to accept it. You, you tell the truth, and I like hearing the truth, but, but I don't want it. Well, when she said that, the Lord told that youth pastor three things that were going to happen in her life. He had never said anything like this before, and he hasn't said anything like this to anyone since that day. He said, Wendy, God's going to give you a chance tonight because you've been chosen to change the world. If you say no, she interrupted and said, no, I, I want to go party. She, he said, okay, then this is what's going to happen. Very specific. He said, in six months, someone is going to rape you in the back seat of a car at a bar. Six months later after that, you're going to be living on your own with a drug addict and you're going to be hooked on drugs. Six months after that, a year and a half from now, you're going to be in the hospital with a sexually transmitted disease. He was just as specific as what I just told you. She said, yeah, sure, that's never going to happen. Well, he didn't hear for her, didn't talk to her for six months. And six months later, she called him and he said, is this, is this Wendy? She goes, yeah. He said, what's going on? She said, you were right. Last night in a car at a bar, I, I got raped in the back seat. He said, Wendy, I'm so sorry. He said, look, look, you're still chosen to change the world. You can change. Jesus can turn this all around. She said, no, no, I'm just not through partying yet. He said, Wendy, please, everything can turn around in your life. She, she, she said no, and she didn't call him again for six months. Six months later, she called him and she said, hey, you were right. I'm on drugs. I'm living with a drug addict right now in his apartment, just like you said. He said, Wendy, I'm appealing to you. You've been chosen to change the world. Turn your life over to Jesus. I can help you. And she hung up on him. Six months later, she called him up and he said, where are you, Wendy? She said, I'm in the hospital. I have a sexually transmitted disease, just like you said. Everything you said has happened. He said, you see what has happened, but I also want to tell you that when you accept Jesus, something else will happen in your life. If you'll just go ahead and turn your life over to him. And he did everything he could to reach that little girl that was chosen to change the world. She said no. Gene was another young man that was into the occult in high school. A, a youth pastor was getting ready to help start a Christian club in the school and he met Gene and Gene had a, a whole group of kids that he, that he, that, that he led, that he had influence over their lives. And that's something that God put in him, that leadership ability. He put it in him to use for his glory, not for the devil. You understand that when God gives those things to people, sometimes you see them using it for evil, but that was a gift that was meant for God to use. And so when I see people with a gift to lead people that are leading people to do evil, I see in my mind that all they're do, although they're, they're, they are doing bad, they've been chosen by God to do something good. They're just missing it. Well, Gene looked at that youth pastor and said, if you start Christian clubs in my school, I'm going to start satanic clubs in my school. And the youth pastor just said, have at it. We'll see which club wins. And he looked at that young man and said, Gene, you've been chosen to change the world. And he said, no, no, I don't want to. You see some in scripture, like the rich young ruler. It's a person that had everything. He was a person that was chosen to change the world. He had an audience with the very Son of God. Jesus conversed face to face 
with him. And the, the rich young ruler had a lot of money. He could underwrite all of the expenses of Jesus's ministry. He could pay for everything Jesus ever needed. He had everything. And Jesus told him, though, that it was going to cost him to follow him so that he could change the world with what he had. He had the ability to make money, had the ability to lead people, but he, he couldn't lead himself. And he said no, and he walked away. Then there's Judas. Judas was chosen to change the world. Out of all the people who have ever lived in the history of the world, he was one of 12 people chosen by Jesus as a disciple. The message was loud and clear. You are going to change the world. You're with the one who came into this world to change it. Judas had the opportunity and he was chosen to change the world. But you know what? He just couldn't get himself right. He couldn't get his head right. He listened to too many negative voices. He ended up, as you know, turning Jesus in and then killing himself. He said no. Then you think about Barabbas. Barabbas would, would have a tremendous testimony, don't you think? You remember who Barabbas was, right? Pilate, at the insistence of the people, swapped Barabbas for Jesus. They, they, they said, I'll release a prisoner to you. Do you want Barabbas, this murderer, or do you want Jesus? And they started shouting, we want Barabbas, we want Barabbas. Barabbas was a murderer. He should be in jail. He should be going to the cross. But they're, but they're shouting, we want Barabbas. And he walked free, and Jesus took his place. You would think a man like that would have a great testimony. No one has ever had a story quite like that. He was chosen to change the world. But after he was chosen and set free, you don't read about Barabbas ever doing one thing for God again. You never hear about him ever again. He said no. But you know what? There's good news. Because some said yes. Some said yes. There's, then there's this group of people who were chosen to change the world that said yes. One of them was a little girl named Jane. Jane was a girl with a reputation when she was a freshman in high school. She would sleep with some boys when she didn't want to just because she didn't have a daddy and she was longing for some attention and she wanted to feel loved and, and she wanted to have a relationship. And, and then she, she realized that, that it was all it was bringing her was hurt and pain. She didn't really have any friends at all. She didn't have the social level that most have. When Jane was a sophomore in high school, she got saved. She heard her youth pastor challenge a group of high school students. He said to them, and I hope every young person in this place hears this and takes this challenge. He said, to, he said to them, you need to make a difference in your school. You need to let people know who you are. You need to let them know that you're a believer and you're going to stand with Jesus and you're not going to bow out and you're not going to bow down. He said, do something before you leave school. 12 years in a school system and you don't open your mouth one time. Well, Jesus came up to him, or excuse me, Jane came up to the youth pastor. She said, I'm going to do something, pastor. Then she told him what she did. She walked up to the front of her speech class in public school classroom. She's never shared anything. She's never shared how she was changed, nothing at all. The speech assignment was to do a speech on an object. And she, so, uh, so she walks up to the front of class with a paper bag in her hand. And she starts her speech by saying, my speech today, today is about what I have in my bag. I want to talk to you about what I have in my bag because what I have in my bag is the most powerful thing there is in the world. What I have in my bag has the ability to totally change a life to where the things that they used to do, they don't want to do anymore. What I have in my bag has the ability to take cancer and heart disease and heal it in an instant. What I have in my bag has the ability to turn lives around, to take somebody that's been an alcoholic for 20 years and make them sober in one second. What I have in my bag can take a drug addict that's been doing drugs for 12 years or 15 years or 20 years and totally turn their life around. And by now, at this point in time, the, the speech class full of high school students, students are saying, what's in the bag? She said, you want to know what's in the bag? They're like, yes, tell us what's in the bag. And she reaches into her bag, pulls out a Bible. She's in speech class. And, and most of you I could see the look on your faces. You're like, oh, yeah, that's cool. But that's not the reaction the kids had, not in that class. Students there in the class said, oh, is that a stupid Bible? I can't believe it. I thought you were going to bring out some new kind of drug there that could do all that. And, and that is, that's the moment where she could have buckled. After everybody said something and everybody shamed her and everybody made fun of her, she just stood there. 
She said, hey, most of you knew me two years ago. And you know that I'm not who I used to be, but you don't know why I've changed. She said, it was the man in this book that changed me. She said, you don't understand what I just told you in my speech. Everything I said is exactly the truth, and I've experienced it. In that moment, the anointing, the Holy Spirit just flooded into that classroom. And, and, and she, she turns around to her teacher, Mrs. Miss Smith, and she says, can I tell these people who the author of this book is? And she says, uh, yeah, I guess so. She turns around to the classroom and she says, the author of this book and the man I'm talking about, his name is Jesus. Jesus wrote this book. She turned and she said, Miss Smith, can I ask people to accept the author of my book? She, she goes, I guess if that's part of your speech. And she said, it is my speech. She asked the class to bow her heads and, and, all the, and they all bow their heads. And she says, the author of my book wants to change your life the way he's changed my life. How many of you want to accept him? And 16, 16 young people in a high school speech class lifted their hands and prayed a sinner's prayer. Yes. Sammy was a young man that was totally into the occult. And I mean, he was really into it to the point that he would pronounce curses on people. He was a high school senior. He wore black shoes, black socks, black pants, black shirt, black eyeliner, and had flaming red hair. Well, a youth pastor in California went to the high school one day when Sammy was there and Sammy was talking to him. He said, oh, you're that preacher I've been hearing about. I, a lot of students these days are going over to your meeting. And he looked at the youth pastor and said, I'm going to put a curse on you. And the youth pastor just looked at him and smiled and said, well, good luck. And, and the youth pastor said, asked him, he said, you ever heard of Red Rover? He said, every, every, everything you try to throw at me, it's going to bounce right off of me and come back to you. I just want you to know it's not going to affect me at all. You throw your little curse on me, but it's going to come back strong on you. And Samuel looked at him and said, you don't understand who I know. And the youth pastor said, no, 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 you don't understand who I know. He said, let, let me tell you something to Sammy. He said, you think you're a big deal. And he, he was, he was chosen to change the world because he had all these other people scared of him. He had this influence. He was chosen to change the world. And the youth pastor saw that in him. And people like Sammy are influ uh, uh, that are influential and can get people to do things and listen to them. God wants to use those gifts and the, the, the devil has stolen it. Well, the youth pastor went on talking with Sammy and he said, Sammy, you, you think you're bad, huh? He said, oh yeah, people are scared of me. The youth pastor said, I'm not scared of you. And he said, but I think you're scared of me. He said, I'm not scared of anybody. The devil gives me all power. And the youth pastor was like, he does, huh? I believe you're scared of me because you won't even show up on a Wednesday night. And he said, he said why don't you just have a backbone and show up on a Wednesday night? Let me see if you can handle what, what, what I do. Sammy said, I tell you what, I'm coming there. I'll be there Wednesday. Okay, good. The youth pastor said, bring your little curse box with you. Well, that Wednesday, Sammy showed up for a youth meeting. It was a very, very large group in a very large church. And the youth pastor didn't know he was there. He was just kind of lost in the crowd. And at the end of the message, the youth pastor gave an altar call. And, you know, he can't see through the cloud. And he starts through the crowd. He just starts walking through the altars with all the kids there praying. And, you know, it's sort of like, oh, that's a nice young man there. Oh, that's a nice young lady there. Oh, that's a nice young man there. Because ah! <laughs> there's Sammy's red hair. You know, and, he, and he's, 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 he's there. He's with his red hair sticking up. He's all dressed in black with black eyeliner running down his face. He's crying. He says, Sammy, what's going on? And Sammy says, the devil told me to kill you tonight. Youth pastor said, he, he told you to kill me? He said, yeah, uh, he told me that he'd give me power if I'd shut you up. The youth pastor said, well, why are you crying? 
He said, because I sat in my chair and he said, he said, right in the middle of your message, as I was getting ready to stand up with my gun, I was going to shoot you. And then I was going to empty the gun in the building. And the youth pastor said, what happened? He said, I started to lift up out of my chair and I felt a hand hit me in my chest and push me back down in the chair. And I tried to lift my arms and two hands grabbed my arms and sat me down in the seat and I couldn't move. He said, then I looked up and you had a 20 foot tall angel standing behind you. He said, that's when I realized the devil had lied to me. Your God has all the power and the devil has no power. I want to get saved. He was chosen to change the world. What did he do? Let me tell you the rest of his story. He went back to school and started a Christian newspaper. After he graduated, he went to a university and started the first Christian newspaper in the university's history. And today, now, he's a missionary to China. Right now. He was chosen to change the world. And he said, yeah. Yeah, I'll do it. I'm in. Do whatever you want to do with me, God. And listen, I can give you story after story after story. I know so many stories, I know you do too, of people that have said yes when they were chosen to change the world. Many of them, I believe, are sitting right in this room. I think about what if I had said no. I went to a Southern Missouri youth camp, heard the call of God on an altar. I got saved, filled with the Spirit, and was called into ministry that week. I could have said no, but I said yes. And you know what? This past June, it's been 43 years since that day. I've never been the same since. If I had said no, how many people that God has used me to touch might not be serving Jesus now? I don't know. Here's why I'm saying that. What about you? Are you underestimating who you really are and what you can be? I mean, come on, who wants to live 80 years on this planet and then go up to heaven and God says, talk to me about what you did. Well, I went to church every once in a while and I went to that men's thing that, that one time and I got a t-shirt and wore it and gave every once in a while. And you see what I'm saying? That's not what the testimony we want to have. It's just time for... Some of us to quit playing games. You've been chosen. You've been chosen. You've been chosen. The scripture says that many are called, but few are chosen. Few listen when he calls. What does that mean? Many are called. Many hear the message. But why is it only a few realize that he's talking to me? And that there's something I need to do for God in my life. I mean, what would it be like if someone had a cure for cancer for 10 years and hit it? It's mine. I found the cure. In 10 years, all of us here have lost a loved one because of cancer. And now some person comes out in the news and says that he's had a cure for cancer for 10 years now. But that man kept it to himself. There'd be people saying, well, my sister would still be alive if he, if he had just told somebody. My brother would still be alive. My daddy would be alive be, because that man had a cure. What's wrong with him? That's what you'd say. How about you? You have a cure for what's killing mankind. You have a cure for what's killing this nation. And I'm here to tell you, it's not a politician. You have a cure for what your neighbor needs. You have a cure that your family needs. You have a cure that your coworkers need. You have your, a cure that your fellow students need. You have a cure that, it, that it's right here in this book and, in, and you have a cure for every area of every person's life. You have a cure for somebody that has no purpose and needs a purpose. You have a cure. Wouldn't it be wrong to hold on to this for 80 years of my life and never say a word? No one ever knowing a thing. You know, there you are at your funeral, lying in your casket. 
Old Dave, well, you know, he sure loved the Lord for about 60 years of his life. He was a Christian. What? He was a Christian? I didn't know he was a Christian. Somebody say it. You've been chosen to change the world. Now make it personal. Say, I've been chosen to change the world. Stand to your feet. I'm going to stop. We're going to take a few minutes because right now in this moment, heaven is standing up. Heaven is watching this moment with bated breath in anticipation of what's about to happen. There are some who may come to know the Lord and heaven will rejoice over that, but there may be others who will say, this is the day I say yes to the call of God in my life. And it doesn't mean that you're called to full-time ministry. Well, it does mean that. Doesn't mean you call to that as a vocation because every one of us are called to full-time ministry in whatever vocation you work. But I believe that heaven is standing with bated breath watching this moment saying, who will say yes? Who's going to work with me? Who will, who will surrender to me? Who will let me use them? Who will be my mouthpiece? Who will take this cure to the world around them? Who will be the one? Or who will be the dozen? Or who will be the 40 or 50. After hearing what we've been talking about today, I, I, I tell you, I don't want to stand before God and have him say, well, what did, you, what did you do, Hoskins? What did you do? Well, I just kind of went to church. Well, do you, do you think I saved you to go to church? Is that, is that what I saved you for? Just to go and hang out in a church? But, you know, the rich young ruler wasn't in church. The woman at the well was not at church. Nicodemus wasn't in church. Zacchaeus wasn't in church. None of those people were in church. They're all out in the city where you go. I want to ask you, who's going to be the lucky person this week that's going to talk to you and you're going to express the love of God to them? Who's going to be the, the lucky person this week that, that, that gets to hear from you about Jesus? Who's the person that's, that's finally going to hear the truth and finally know that it's time for their life to change? Can I tell you something? This church is not big enough for what is supposed to take place. This church is not big enough. In fact, the truth is, all the churches in this city combined are not big enough for what is supposed to take place. But here in this place, listen, if you, if you just brought one person with you, this place would, heal, would fill up in a hurry. It sure would. If you brought one person with you and if each of those brought one person with them, we, we'd have a hard time fitting everybody in this place. We'd have to start using the fellowship hall as an overflow and set up a TV in there so they could see the live stream or something. That's what we'd have to do. You've been chosen to change the world. There are many here, but there are a few people that really believe. And I want you to believe, to really believe that God can use you to turn a life on for Christ. Quit waiting for some professional to come in. The truth is God has always used ordinary, everyday people, simple people that love God to touch the society around them. Those 12 disciples were not the great religious leaders. They were not the professionals. They were just everyday people. What I want you to understand today, that it is not you, that, that it is you, not your neighbor, that God wants to go to the world. It's not somebody else in the church, it's you. And wherever I go today, I, I want to affect somebody. I want to light somebody up for Jesus. And you're going to do the same. God is going to use you because you have been chosen to change the world. Bow your head, close your eyes. This is where heaven rejoices. This is when heaven really gets excited. All over the room, listen to me. Nobody's looking around. Those of you who say, Pastor, it's time that I get serious. I need to get right with God. I need to ask for forgiveness. I need to come clean. I need to come back to God. I need to straighten some things in my life. Or maybe you're just one that says, you know what? I'm doing pretty good. I feel like, like I'm, I'm in good standing with Christ. I'm in good shape spiritually, but I haven't taken this call seriously. I haven't 
realize that God has chosen me to change the world. And if that's you, you know, God forbid that you walk out of that exit instead of walking down to an altar. You, you lose if you walk out and say no. All over the building, I'm going to count to three. And if you'd say, Pastor, I just need to ask Jesus to take everything. That I, I'm tired of halfway. I'm tired of being lethargic. I'm tired of being lazy. I want him to have it all. This is your moment. I'm going to count to three, then I'm going to ask you without hesitation to step out from where you are and come to this altar for two minutes. Just give me two minutes. Are you ready? One, two, get ready and don't hesitate for one second. Three, if that's you, you come. I need to do this. I need it, Pastor. I need to do it now. Make your way down to this altar. Come down here. If you came with somebody today, you might even want to grab their hand and, and bring them down here with you. Church, just never lose sight of the fact that heaven rejoices when people come home, that that's why we exist. This church is here to be a hospital. This church is here to change the world. We are not here for us. We are here to serve this city. And listen, I, I, I'm gonna, let's see here. We got, we got more than Jesus had that he started with at this altar. Listen, if he could use 12 to turn the world upside down, then he could use what? We got 15 here. He can use 15 to turn Marion upside down and West Memphis. It's time. It's time. Just lift your hands up to him and just in your own words, just say, Lord Jesus, here I am. I'm giving everything. I'm surrendering. I'm tired of halfway. I'm tired of, of just going to church and going through the motions. I want you to use me. Father, you see the hands that are raised, the lives that are being lifted up. You see the hearts of people that are longing to be used for it by you, God, that want to go beyond just a, a temporary fix at church and feeling good about going to church, but they want to know your power flowing through their lives. And God, we know that the greatest way to, to have that power flowing is to be about your business, to be sharing the gospel, to be taking our job and our calling as missionaries to this city seriously. And so God, I pray that you would raise up young men and women of God in our schools from, from kindergarten all the way up through high school and in the colleges, God, that you would raise them up to say, I'm going to do something for Jesus in my school. I'm not going to go through school for 12 years through a system and never even tell anybody about my Savior. I, God, I pray, God, that you would raise up people in their workplaces, that God, that they would be servants in those places and you would give them opportunities to tell people about the Jesus that they love so dearly. Because, God, they have been chosen by you to change the world. And there are people that you have called and that you're choosing in this very moment. And, God, you're going to give us the privilege of leading them to you. And in that moment, God, we can't wait to rejoice with you in the presence of God. Because we know in that moment there is rejoicing in the presence of God's angels. So, God, here we are. And, and we admit that we are weak. And... Some ways, God, we're scared because we're afraid of how to do this. We're afraid of being rejected, but God, just, I pray that you would banish every fear and that the peace of God that passes understanding would guard our hearts and our minds. And we'd realize, Lord God, that when we speak up for you in love, that you're gonna use us. So God, I pray you would lay even now, God, lay somebody on our heart. And I pray, God, that we would reach out to them, that we would love them, we'd bring them to church, we'd do all that we can to introduce them to Jesus. Because Jesus, we know you are the cure for what's killing our friends. You're the cure for what's killing our nation. You're our cure for what's killing mankind. Help us to share that cure boldly. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.